Good morning, good afternoon, good night, everybody, wherever you are watching this video cast, this podcast, wherever you are, it is the 28th of March, 2021. This is England is Burning. This is your Chelsea weekly feature. And back again is Rob Prattley. He is a senior editor for CFCW Social. He is here back again to discuss the last couple of games, the week that has been for Chelsea uh, against Wolfsburg in the Women's Champions League, as well as the most recent game, instant reaction, not so instant reaction to both. Also the match today against Aston Villa at home, which was a 2-0, but we want to talk a lot about the 2-1 the Champions League match against Wolfsburg. Rob, thank you for coming back on. Yeah, pleasure as always. Pleasure as always. And I'm sorry, sorry, this, this is your, uh, you were telling me before this, before that this is like your 400th, uh, you know, pod that you've been on today. Yeah, it's, been a, it's been a lengthy sort of, uh, <laughs> a lengthy couple of days and a lengthy few days, but always happy to spread the good word of Emma Hayes, so. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's right. You know, I saw a post where she apparently has reached godlike or goddess-like status, right? Yeah, I mean to be on. Yeah, I mean to be honest, I think you, you know, you ask any any Chelsea women's fan and probably any WSL fan, they'll tell you that over the last ten years, Anna Hayes has done more to develop the women's game in England, arguably, than any other manager, and has done, you know has propelled Chelsea women from a status of being a club that was sort of, you know, mired in mid-table and sort of fighting in mid-table and, you know, being a sort of now an English superpower and coming up to now being a European superpower. And if you'd have told me back when I started supporting sort of Chelsea women on a more regular basis, back when Emma first took over, that in sort of, you know, less than a decade's time, we'd have won... And the domestic league multiple times, we'd have won, you know, become one of the favourites of the Women's FA Cup and the Conti Cup, become a favourite for the UWCL, signed, you know, had one, had England's best player, had arguably, you know, the world's best player, had arguably the world's best striker, had the world's best goalkeeper playing for us at various times. Um, you know, I'd have probably called you deluded. But uh, yeah, it's that level of sort of status she's sort of now got to. And there's a, there's a reason why there's sort of such a reverence. Again, with the Conti Cup, she part, became the most successful manager of all time in Chelsea's sort of history across men and women with a number of trophies, mm-hmm. passing that of, you know, the great Jose Mourinho, who had such a, you know, indelible mark on Chelsea, Chelsea's men's side in his two spells. And again, Emma Hayes is just, you know, going from strength to strength. And the fact that still realistically... Chelsea can end the year with another two trophies and is sort of very possible. And she can be, you know, the most decorated individual manager in a sort of women's season history. That sort of, you know, shouldn't shouldn't go overlooked. Aside from the accolades and the the the, the trophy cabinet and the signings, I mean, what is it about her as a manager that sets her apart? that has led, led her and the squad to where they are, because I mean, they're on the verge of mm. absolute history potentially with what, what they could possibly accomplish even this season. So what is it about her that stand, sets her apart? Mm. So, I mean, there's, I, I, there was a very lengthy podcast and I get a, a you know, I hope you don't mind me plugging. We did, uh, went to Mo King's Meadow, did a really good sort mm-hmm. of Hayes special during the last um, international break where sort of we talked for about an hour and a half between us and numerous guests about it. And I'd say it boils down to three things. Number one is the quality management of the squad. 
There are every transfer Emma seems to do hits the money, whether it's players going out or coming in. It's very hard to think of a Chelsea player who's come in who either, you know, assuming that they've not had issues like injury, like Anita Asante, which was a bit different. And again, you know, she was sort of injured. It was out of Emma's control. Anyone who's come in to sort of play a regular role has been absolutely brilliant and has just been a brilliant signing. In the same way, anyone she's chose to let go hasn't gone on to what you would call bigger and better things. And even apart from, you know, things like Head Visual Linda, where they've gone with Emma's blessing and it's more of a case that, you know, there's a recognition. And this comes on to part two. She recognises the players and the big line between being a manager and being a friend to mm-hmm. the players. And so she's very good at the carrot and the stick method. I mean, at times she's sort of been quite harsh or towards sort of Bethany England because England likes that sort of motivation and that sort of tough love mm. whereas Frank Kirby is a lot more softer and she you know speaks and sees Emma Hayes as a mother figure and because she herself lost her mother at a very young age sort of you know, Emma's come in and been sort of that mother figure for a long long time was a big part in her you know recovery from pericarditis and mm-hmm. then you also hear people like Drew Spence for instance where Drew sort of has been around the dressing room been there and done that now with Chelsea and she sort of has that different level of relationship with Emma Hayes where it's more of a case that Emma knows that okay she would probably like to be playing more football but at the same time knows she needs to be able to count on her when she needs to bring her in and mm-hmm. is that sort of combined factor all of those combined factors I don't think there's a player in the world that if Emma Hayes rang up and said I want you to join Chelsea and come play under me I don't think there's a player in the world that would immediately say not interested and a lot of that is due to Emma Hayes. Some of it is down to Chelsea's prestige and the ability, the fact that, you know, they are based in London, which is a desirable city, and the fact the squad is so good. But a lot of it is Emma Hayes. And that is why, you know, you hear her saying that there are players that have not joined Chelsea because they've got the right, you know, the right culture mentally. I trust her 100% on that decision and on any decision she makes on a player's culture. So that's why she's reached that, you know, that level of sort of omnipotent, omniscient status at the club. And what the word I, I keep hearing over and over and over again about her is the word demanding. And, mm. in, in, you know, that, that when I hear commentators talk about how demanding she is, but she's a lot more than that, isn't she? Yeah, she she's one of those. She's I think this is and this is a bit like, again, I like to compare her to sort of Mourinho's first spell at um, Chelsea because there was the demanding aspect of it, but then there was also that side of it of playing the media really well and knowing how to, you know, play that. You frequently, again, you saw a clip today of sort of Emma sort of joking around with the media. You frequently sort of seeing her doing it. She's not averse to sort of having that kind of fun, but she knows there's very much a distinction between, you know, work time and play time. Mm -hmm. And the best managers, I think, are the ones that know how to tread that line, both with players, with the media and with... um, sort of you know fans and she is very you know Emma makes it very clear how much the Chelsea fans mean to her the Chelsea uh, how much the Chelsea women's fans mean to mm-hmm. her and that is the other thing that endears her so much to people is that it's completely 100% genuine and you know she's spoken about fans not being there in the last year and was some managers it can sound a little bit sort of wooden and a bit sort of superfluous in her case you genuinely know she sort of you know appreciates that backing and misses that backing and that's why she um, sort of, you know, that's why there are so many banners as well towards King's Meadow directly aimed at the manager. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's pretty high praise when, you know, uh, I mean, I look at someone like Pernell Harder, who was the 
wasn't she the player of the year uh, last year at Wolfsburg and now it's playing for Chelsea. Is that yeah. one of the people that Emma decided to ring up and was like, come here? I mean, P- Panilla Hard is a bit of a different case. Okay. There are a few, there are a few factors there, but I have no doubt that, you know, the fact that it was playing with Emma Hayes, Swayda, I, mm-hmm. Sam Kerr, I think has come out and said, you know, she had offers from across the world when she decided that she wanted to come over from NWSL and, the fact, you know, she's at Chelsea, I suspect, is an awful lot due to Emma Hayes. And again, Emma has been very... With, with Sam Kerr, I think it's a really interesting example of it because all through it with Sam Kerr, Emma's always been very, very positive, even when she wasn't scoring last year. She was incredibly positive what she was doing and said, you know, I want her to keep doing that. I want her to keep playing that way. And now you're sort of seeing the benefits of that because she's clearly got her confidence back, has sort mm-hmm. of fitted in, has that wonderful link up with Frank Kirby and is flying and is likely going to end the season as... Chelsea's top goal scorer if Fran doesn't you know decide that she wants that accolade as well and may even end it up with w- as WSL top goal scorer again if Fran decides she doesn't want that accolade as well but it's that side of it and that really good you know really good character sort of side of it that you're seeing is that she's kept sort of Sam Kerr happy while at the same time also challenging Beth England to reach new heights and Beth is now starting to acknowledge that you know in her recent sort of weeks you're starting to hear her acknowledging that more. And I think, you know, that level of competition is always really great for a side when you've got multiple top players all competing against one another. Certainly, certainly is. Certainly is. One of the the few joys of not having fans in the stands is to hear Emma Hayes yelling <laughs> out into the field uh, at certain things. And and uh, there was one particular moment as we kind of segue into the Champions League match uh, midweek last week against Wolfsburg. Uh, there was a moment there where uh, you could hear Emma really clearly near the end of the match. And I want to get, I want to talk about that, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, what happened with uh, that sort of clattering of uh, goalie yeah. and, and player <laughs> there uh, and so forth. So uh, but so let's let's talk about the uh, Wolfsburg in the Champions League. Uh, I, my thought was when I watched that match, I was like, I think Chelsea really wants to have a clean sheet, and it didn't end up that way. Mm. What were what was your thought about the about the match overall? And uh, before we get into a, the it details, it's really interesting. I think because um, earlier in the day we saw Manchester City come against Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And being completely sort of polite about it, City, I thought, played well from an offensive sense. But mm-hmm. defensively, they set their own traps. They fell into their own problems and they were comprehensively, you know, outclassed and saved for some excellent goalkeeping from Ellie Roebuck. It could have been a much more embarrassing scoreline. On the flip side of it, they also, at nil-nil, missed several really good chances, which could have changed it completely. Uh, missed the penalty, obviously, and could quite easily be coming back to... Um, Etihad campus this week, the Academy Stadium, with a couple of goals. And then it's a completely different tie. But you look at that on paper with the 3-0 now, and it just takes, you know, one goal from Barcelona, then City need five. And I think you probably say that's game over, mm-hmm. um, in sort of complete honesty. Whereas in Chelsea's case, I think they started off against Wolfsburg, playing a little bit against their own history, because they'd never beaten Wolfsburg beforehand. And They'd sort of, you know, there was that real mentality and that fear. And I, I did say in the build-up to the Wolfsburg game, I think people were underselling Wolfsburg. And they were being treated a little bit as, you know, sort of after the Lord Mayor's show in some ways. of the We played Atletico and we were going through against, you know, Wolfsburg and Bayern. And I've always been very clear to stress that, you know, if Leon are the queens of 
women's football, then Wolfsburg are definitely, you know, the princess apparent. Um, because they've won it multiple times. They the Frauen Bundesliga goes to them or Bayern Munich. And there are very few sides that can boast a squad and a pedigree. And people were looking at, you know, we'll talk about what Chelsea had. They were forgetting the fact, you know, Wolfsburg got people like Eva Payor, who I think has something ludicrous like a, just over a one in 1.7 goal record or something ludicrous like that. They've got people like Pop, who, as annoying as a player Alex Pop is, there's the sort of player you hate playing against and love having in your side and is such a all-round brilliant midfielder. Lane Oberdorf, who's arguably the best in that position. Ingen, who's again one of the top players in the world in that position and no doubt will be a great signing for whoever picks her up on a free. Um, and they've got, you know, I think people were looking at them with people like Rebecca Blomqvist and Rolfo off the bench who, you know, were other options. And people sort of looked at Wolfsburg and were sort of underselling them. And I think the first half was it reminded people that, hang on, Wolfsburg are a really good side. And Chelsea, at first, I don't think really helped themselves. They were playing against their fear, as I sort of said, and the fear of facing Wolfsburg. And they had, you know, they made their own luck at times in a way Wolfsburg and they were pressing Chelsea and forcing mistakes and people like Millie Bright is usually really composed on the ball she was struggling in the first half they were doing well down the right wing surprisingly up against Jana Anderson when I thought they might target Neem Charles on the left wing and after you know I'll come on to Neem Charles and I thought she was brilliant in the game um but they sort of hit the post twice there was the sort of handball goal from Pop which was just blatant and I'm, I'm it would disappointed me to see her trying to argue that that was a legal goal as the captains I appreciate you try and get every edge as a player but you know it would have been absolutely scandalous if that had been in sort of you know an extra time period and that goal had been given and that had been what to qualify that would have been exactly what you don't want in a tournament like this absolutely um, but it got to half time and it was sort of nil nil and it was at that point you sort of you know I think a light bulb went in and I think Emma gave them a good not necessarily a rocket at halftime, but I think she sort of said to them, you know, remember how good you are and remember that you are a really good side. And Mm -hmm. from the second half, they came out and they were a lot more sort of offensive. Again, Wolfsburg did hit the post um, sort of right at the beginning of the second half. I think Chelsea was still waking up. But yeah, they started started really counter-attacking really well. And again, the first goal comes from a little bit of incision. Again, I'm amazed that Pop in the build after the goal didn't get sent off for the foul on Frank Kirby on the edge of the box, because anywhere else on the pitch, that's a foul on the yellow card. And I think the referee may have just forgot it due to the nature of the celebrations. Obviously, the second goal is one we've seen quite a lot this year from Chelsea. And again, we saw similar today in the Villa game, of the ability to close down and put the teams under pressure. And right. as soon as they sort of did that, you sort of had Kirby with the initial press, plays it back and sort of, you know, gets it and plays it back to Sam Kerr. Kerr with the ball around the corner to Pinella Harder. And, you know, the script was written and sat up for Pinella Harder to sort of score against her former side and to do the damage. And suddenly it had a weird situation where Wolfsburg felt like they dominated the game, had a 2-0 lead. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the penalty, uh, yeah, no complaints. It was just a poorly timed chance. A surprisingly rash one from Magda Eriksson, who usually, you know, I think if she looks back on that, she'd say, you know, just got that one completely wrong and it was a bit of a rush of blood to the head. Dominic Janssen, you know, if Atletico Madrid can't show us how not to take penalties, she said exactly how to take penalty. Terrific finish. And then mm-hmm. after that, it was a bit of, you know, a bit of the Alamo for the last 20 minutes, but you sort of expected that. Wolfsburg got more desperate and went more direct. But at the same time, Chelsea had chances. And I, I still feel that Wrighton should have done a lot better when she was played through on the break and had that chance and sort of scuffed it and put it straight at them. Because if you then make it 3-1, that's a completely different 
circumstance to a 2-1. And while, you know, before the game, I think if you ask Chelsea fans, would they take a 2-1? It's a dangerous scoreline in any game mm-hmm. because if uh, they get the next goal, Chelsea get the next goal, Wolfsburg still needs to score twice. But right. if Wolfsburg gets the next goal, then Chelsea still need to score twice. So it's not really, or Chelsea need to score at least once and probably need to score twice because you back on Wolfsburg scoring again. Right. Um so yeah, that was a sort of interesting sort of um, a, a very interesting game, and it was a, you know a really great advert for the UWCL and for the women's game in general. And it's just a shame it was on such a ludicrous time in the UK to uh, you know stop people watching it. Absolutely, I mean, there's so many thoughts I had about the game in terms of you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a novice when it comes to, and I'll be honest and be a novice when it comes to you know other European sides, but I know mm-hmm. about Wolfsburg, and I know that you know they're one of the you know, the top teams in Europe, but I also looked at the fact that, you know, they, they had played Chelsea previously. And if I'm correct, Rob, they had essentially battered them in previous outings. I mean, it wasn't, you know, they were, I was hearing, I was seeing like different, you know, pretty high score lines, which I, which I wasn't expecting to come from, you know, a Chelsea side, but the thing of it is, is that Wolfsburg has been that good. Uh, And, you know, if it hadn't been for a team like Leon, you know, Wolfsburg, you know, probably would have have more trophies yeah. in the European competition. And so it, it almost seemed, I think, I'm glad you made the point, Rob, it seemed like Chelsea almost were trying to play against themselves in the first 25 minutes. You yeah. know, there, there were moments where I was like, this is not the Chelsea team that I have, dare I say, come to expect over the last four months of really closely watching them where I was like, when people are making mistakes that normally they would not make, is it that Wolves, and I, the question I had was, and I think you've answered it, but you can elaborate if you want, is, is Wolfsburg that good or was Chelsea just a little shaky and a little nervy to start the match? I think it's a combination of both. I think there was, you know, and you expect that against top teams. Ultimately, mm-hmm. Chelsea don't really face the caliber of a Wolfsburg every single week in WSL, and I would argue the only team in WSL that are close to Wolfsburg at this moment in time, Manchester City. Um, and Manchester United fans and Arsenal fans both might not, you know, like to hear that. But the fact of the matter is, against Arsenal twice this season, okay, the game earlier in the season, Chelsea had one of their uncharacteristic off days, but still took a point, and in the home game, just completely outclassed them. And against Manchester United, again, at the opening day of the season, they had so many chances and just didn't take them in the first half, Chelsea, and it could have been 5 0 before half time, And then in the second sort of game, again, if they'd have taken the chance in the opening 20 minutes, it could have been 5-0 and sort of game over. So mm-hmm. I think Wolfsburg represent that other sort of step up in that standard in class. I mean, you look at the, the thing that was really interesting for me as a sort of, you know, as a Chelsea perspective looking at it was so often against um, Wolfsburg, Panilla Harder is the, was the star player and was the one that did so much damage. And although she only scored, I think, two against Chelsea, she got something ludicrous, like four or five assists. And one of the own, I particularly remember one of them, which was the own goal scored by Mary Mielder, where it was a case where Harder went into the box and crossed it. And it was going to be a tap in for Pyle and Mielder had to throw herself at it. So I think to an element that was, you know, if we can't beat you, we're going to sign your best player and see how that sort of goes. And I think psychologically, you saw that a little bit in the second half against Wolfsburg. Clearly they were right after Harder scored they were really rattled for a few minutes. And yes, again, the penalty yeah. came mm-hmm. from a bit of a sort of, you know, a, stro- a good time for them because I think it allowed them to refocus and get their attention back. And I think that's the only thing Chelsea would be a bit disappointed at is the nature of how 
they conceded that goal um, sure. and gave sort of a way back into it. But I think, it, you know, it showed a different side to Chelsea than ones we've seen previously in the UWCL of a side that are able to perhaps roll with the punches and mm-hmm. ultimately have come out of it with their only their first ever victory against Wolfsburg. And that will play on some of the minds of some of the Wolfsburg players, the fact that they had so many chances to sort of, you know, seal it and didn't and the fact that there were so many efforts sort of you know moments that they could have done better with and yet they've come out of it losing the game um and Stefan Lurch sort of you know alluded to this after the match of that you know he was disappointed with his team's finishing and ultimately I don't think Chelsea will I don't think they will play a similar I don't think they'll necessarily play completely different on Wednesday I think they'll play a similar style of football but I think there'll be a real emphasis on the counter-attack because this is their away leg effectively and now if Chelsea can go and get that goal then suddenly Wolfsburg mm-hmm. need to score a couple without reply and that then leaves them more open to the fact that you know Kirby, Harder and Kerr are all going to be there on the counter-attack. It's funny that you mentioned the well not funny but it's I think this is an important point that both of the legs are being played at a neutral site mm. Is it fair, in your opinion, Rob, that the away goals rule is in effect for two games that are essentially on a neutral field? I mean, it's one of those ones where I don't feel like I don't feel like it's unfair. If that makes sense, sure. But I don't know because at the end of the day, if it's the same for both sides, then ultimately mm-hmm. you're not really you know losing anything as per se. Um, right. I did think it was perhaps a bit unfair that the mm-hmm. away goal rule was in play in the previous round sure. with Atleti, where Atleti played at you know, could have played at King's Meadow and then had to, you know, play at a neutral stadium. But I think in this case, it's sort of more of a, it's one of the weird quirks of how football is at this moment in time. We've just got to sort of accept it, to be honest. Um, ultimately, like, you know, the away, go- the away goals are always such that both teams have a chance, as mu- have 90 minutes where they've got a chance to benefit from it. In this second leg, in theory, if, you know, it does end up one, two on the day, on the day to Wolfsburg, then Chelsea will have another extra 30 minutes to try and get that goal. And then the away goal will count for more. So that is also, that's one of the things I do object to a little bit more is away goals counting after in extra time. That's when I think it should be a clean slate. Um, and I only think away goals should count up to the 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, a whole, that's my thoughts across all of football, not just women's football. Sure, sure, exactly. Now, Nim Charles had a got a start, but you mentioned just uh, just earlier that you were surprised at Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg's attack was on the other side, yeah. um, and then you felt that Nim Charles had a really good match. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, people increasingly know that I really rate Nim Charles and think she's a brilliant, like you know, young player. I think it was terrific evidence again from the scouting team to go out and get last summer to get Leopold's Charles and um, uh, and Penilla Harder in because that adds so much depth and quality to the squad. And mm-hmm. I think in recent weeks, Mary Mielder's injuries, you know, as horrendous as an injury it is, it's allowed Charles to sort of step out the shadows a little bit and step into that fullback role. And she's done it with absolute aplomb. And in the previous round against Atletico, you could perhaps say she was a bit maybe naive at times and did sort of, you know, fall for some of the the tricks of wingers of quality players like Ludmilla de Silva and mm-hmm. got herself sort of booked in that game. And that sort of came back to bite her in this game because in this game, she was flawless. Um, brilliant early block to deny Rolfo when uh, Bright missed the header, just 
had a really good battle with Rolfo down the wing. And you, you always love seeing a good battle between a fullback and a mm-hmm. winger. And at times they got the better of one another. I do have to say it was one of the worst decisions I've seen to book Neem Charles for that inch-perfect sliding tackle that's going to rule her out the second leg. Uh, it was just an absolutely ridiculous decision. The, the Wolfsburg player didn't complain for it. It was clean as a whistle. You know, mm-hmm. people say that sliding tackle being at, coming out of the game and no longer being a part in the game. And I feel a bit sorry for players because if you can tackle like that and win the ball fairly and still be penalised for it, then you may as well not slide tackle at all. Um, I thought she was, yeah, absolutely magnificent. And again, it's going to be a big blow for Chelsea to sort of miss out on her. And it's, you know, it's particularly galling that Neem Charles is going to miss the game for uh, sort of, you know, perfectly clean, perfectly mm-hmm. executed slide tackle. Yet Pop is, in theory, going to be allowed to play after punching the ball into the net, committing about eight different fouls, taking out Frank Kirby on the edge of the box, and then trying to kill um, Anne Catherine Berger. But, you know, that's I've come to expect, you know, a lack of consistency from referees in the women's game. But it was particularly disappointing that in a top game, there wasn't a top official or a top performance from an official. And that's sad. Uh, I mean, you, you did, I mean, and I think you've given a rather fair um, viewpoint of the refereeing. I mean, you just laid out the evidence in less than five seconds uh, mm-hmm. of being poor, uh, you know, inconsistent uh, refereeing, because I totally agree that 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 uh, sliding tackle was perfect. And there's I I don't I don't understand why there was not a why it wasn't uh, just clean and you would go on your way uh, in comparison to the fouls that the fouls that weren't fouled, weren't carded. Uh, I have to, you know, I have it was to all over the were, place. And I was like, this is yeah, scary there were bad. Numerous, there, there were numerous challenges on both sides that I was mm-hmm. surprised the referee let them get away with. Whereas there were certain ones that I thought, particularly in the first half, actually when Chelsea were sort of nervy and were fouling Wolfsburg all over the place. There were numerous chances to play advantage and to let them, you know, utilise mm-hmm. the space in behind. And yet the referee seemed determined to sort of, you know, disrupt it at every opportunity. And that's not, you know, ultimately, I appreciate it's a very difficult thing for a referee. Um, and I'm not going to pretend that a... I'm not going to pretend that, you know, it's it's an easy thing to be a referee and it wouldn't mm-hmm. be fair for me to try and pretend that however i i do feel in top games one of the like you know most disappointing things you can have in a big game is sort of a referee who comes and sort of you know spoils the spectacle a little bit by making it about themselves and i don't think they necessarily did that in this one but at the same time i think you know you could clearly see the um gaps I think is the best word for it and it was a bit you know disappointing that people wanted to watch you know two top sides and I could give them credit in the Barcelona game I thought the referee in the Barcelona City game was absolutely brilliant was not standing for nonsense was giving fouls when there were Mm -hmm. fouls was letting the game flow when it needed to flow wasn't just getting their cards out unnecessarily um and it was that sort of level of, you know, that consistency and control of refereeing that was missing from the Wolfsburg game, as it did feel a little bit, the, especially in the first half, what Wolfsburg sort of seemed to want from the referee they were getting. And it was whoever was shouting loudest that the referee was getting the decision. Yeah, and, and I, I have, I never complain really when 
you have a referee who may be harsh with doling out the cards or maybe not so harsh and just letting them play as long as they're consistent about it throughout the entire match. Mm. And that's not what happened here. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. In, at the Barcelona City match, the, the referee, I believe, was 98.9% consistent. In this match, I didn't know, I didn't know what was going to be a foul and what was not. Where mm. I was expecting a foul, I didn't see a foul being called. When mm. I was expecting a card, I didn't see it. But then when I did see a card, that's not what I was expecting. So I didn't know what was a foul and what was not. And that's not as a fan or as a supporter, you want to see. Mm. Even I, I if it always, goes for your team, I'm not sure you want to see that because who knows what's going to happen next. I, uh, yeah, I always say the best games for me mm-hmm. are the ones where you don't notice the referee until you need to notice the referee. Because ultimately, people do not go to a football match to go and see the see person the in the black, mm-hmm. yep. you know, dolling out cards and blowing their whistle. They go to go and see two top teams. And I have a feeling that, you know, if there'd been a crowd in the stadium, I think there would have been a general discontent towards the referee from both sides. Agreed. Um, probably more so from the Chelsea perspective, but equally in terms of the Wolfsburg perspective, because at times it felt like the referee was trying to make themselves the star attraction. And mm. that's not what you want to see in a big game. And thankfully, you know, it wasn't, there, there wasn't any absolutely horrendous decisions that completely overshadowed it, besides the mean Charles one which I thought you know was just ridiculous and the what should have been the red card for pop but thankfully there wasn't a game you know deciding decision such as a ridiculous red card or a goal disallowed or whatever or that pop goal being allowed because that would have you know really spoiled what should have been a great match and was a fantastic spectacle for mm-hmm. you know the UWCL and in a couple of weeks where there's been so much said about the TV deal and about the promise of you know more coverage of it it's important that the games that sort of precede that and lead up to it are, you know, advertise the best of the best. Mm-hmm. At this point, you want to see the best of the best. And you want, you know, everyone on the pitch to be the best of the best. Yeah. And on the internet, it was interesting that there was so much grumbling about Manchester City's performance against Barcelona, which one would say was poor, uh, you know, overall. And, you know, everyone was saying, well, the, you know, the City Barcelona match was going to be the, the, the tie of the quarterfinals. And, you know, that would, that's, was pretty arguable, but it was, but, you know, it was great to see that this one was the spectacle that it should have been, uh, you know, in, in the end. So I think I know who your player of the match for the, for this one is, but, Rob, who was your player of the match in the Wolfsburg? I, it was. It came down to a couple of um, people. Again, I, I sort of thought Charles did really, really well. Uh, I thought Sam mm-hmm. Kerr, again, I, I agreed with what Emma Hayes said. I thought Sam Kerr had her best game in a Chelsea mm-hmm. shirt, besides the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, she may have scored a hat-trick a few weeks ago in a cup final, but ultimately that was more of a expected one, whereas in this game she was just brilliant, led the line so well and caused so much problems for the Wolfsburg defence, especially in the second. But it's got to go to Anne Catherine Berger, who again, continues to confound, I suppose, critics who perhaps were pointing that out as one of the weak spots earlier this season for Chelsea at the beginning of the year and saying, you know, do they need to look to bring in a goalkeeper? And, you know, I think she's made everyone eat humble pie um, this season, in all honesty. It's just been superb. The volleyed save in the second half was one of the best saves I've seen in a long, long time. Um, 
And yeah, you know, again, it's just more further evidence to dispel this ridiculous myth that there aren't good women's goalkeepers. And that's mm-hmm. one of the myths mm-hmm. that really annoys me about the women's game. Yeah. I, t- I totally agree. And I, I mean, to me, she was hand down the player of the match to me. I mean, there were some great performances, very good performances all across uh, and so forth. But at the end of the day, for me, she was it. Uh, I mean, in terms of, uh, of her overall performance. Um, and uh, I was, but, but to, but talk about this though, at the end, I was, I feared for her, feared for her deeply at the mm. end, when she got clattered. I mean, really just rammed into by a uh, pop at the end. Uh, so tell, what were I, your thoughts about that? I, I thought it was absolutely outrageous. Um, mm. I, I will always preface, I will preface this by saying, there is always a right for a striker to go uh-huh. at a ball at a 50-50 and right. any attacking player. And until a goalkeeper has got the ball in their two hands, then, you know, it's fair game. However, in this case, AKB clearly got there first. You know, Pop knew she'd got there first and this was just an attempt to bulldoze into her and clatter, try and win the ball back and maybe put it into the empty net. It was cynical. It was, you know particularly strict what you nowadays people call the word streetwise i prefer mm-hmm. to use the term cheating because that's what it boils down to as um and you know it was absolutely shocking i wasn't surprised to see emma hayes's reaction on the bench being absolutely incensed because mm-hmm. in recent weeks we've seen a few cases again against atletico they were trying to target akb quite physically and this was just an absolutely outrageous sort of you know maneuver the way pop sort of went in with her knee up as well it yes. was one of the ones where yeah. I, I can understand if it had been a heavy, you know, two heads colliding or mm-hmm. something like that, or a mm-hmm. stray elbow catching them. But to go in with the knee up like that, that is just an intent to try and hurt someone. And that is not, you know, what you want to see from any player whatsoever. Um, again, I give a lot of grief in the men's game to Harry Kane, who sort of is very good at going in with his back and sort of, you know, backing into players and sort of having them go mm-hmm. flip over them. If that goes right, wrong, right. a player will break their neck. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you know, if AKB had landed badly, it could easily have broken her neck. Um, yes. mm-hmm. I was I was stunned that the referee sort of, you know, initially seemed to give a drop ball and seemed to see it as an, you know, an even challenge. And I, I'm stunned still that Pop somehow came out of it with... I, I thought it was a straight red. I was stunned it wasn't a straight red. I was even more stunned it wasn't a second yellow. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, you know, Emma Hayes was absolutely incensed on the touchline. You heard her yes. sort of incensed. And it takes a lot to get Emma that upset about something. But it was, you know, it was a dampener, I suppose, on what had been a really good performance from that regard because it was, mm. I think, you know, pop a, a lot of frustration in it. And it was something you don't want to see from a captain. Absolutely. And and at first, when I first saw it, you know, I was saying, mm, when I first saw it, but I didn't, you know, in real time, as it ha- as it happened, I was like, mm, that could be 50-50. But then when I saw it again, and it, and I was like, mm, momentum, and, you know, but she was there first. Yeah. And, you know, I just went back and forth and back and forth. But I saw it again, I saw the knee. The knee was what did it for me. Mm, yeah. And I, you know, I, the I knee that. up. Like you pointed out, was what mm. did it for me. I was like, oh, no, I don't think this is, this didn't look accidental. No. <laughs> you know? I, I can, I, I will say that one thing, that to the referee, they only have one view of it on the pitch. They only see it the first time. However, there are two lines, people, and I believe there is a fifth official in the Champions League mm-hmm. behind the goal specifically for actions like that. Right. I refuse to believe between those what um, four sets of eyes, between them, they all couldn't see the knee up. 
Um, yeah. Agreed. And that's why, you know, I think Pop also benefited from the fact that, you know, she went down and had to get treatment and also AKB had to. And I think due to that, you know, breaking play, that partly disrupted the referee's thinking. Because I think if there hadn't been that immediate break in play, or indeed if AKB had been seriously injured mm-hmm. and needed to be stretched off, then it would have been a red card. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, that shouldn't be you know the answer. It shouldn't require a player to be injured um, and to be seriously injured for the referee to need to give a decision. And I will say, you know, even if that had been a Chelsea player going into the opposition goalkeeper, I would say the exact same thing. It you know a player's welfare should not determine what the colour of the card is or indeed whether a foul is given. Agreed, agreed. Um, because there's always, you know, intent and what actually happened. Mm. Uh, and um, I mean, and, and I think, you know, I, I don't like using the word luck, but I think it applies here because it's lucky that that she didn't get seriously hurt. Yeah. I mean, really. Well, I mean, I mean in, we don't in a collision, really know the exactly, way because obviously she was right. That's was, true. Was sort of featuring that is true. Play against Aston Villa. And again, I think Emma was sort of asked about it after the game and sort of said, you know, she took a knock and was sort of, you know, assessing it. But in mm-hmm. Chelsea are very much, you know, mum's the word on a lot of the time when it's injuries and won't be, you know, evidently sort of, you know, won't come out and say it. But you could tell even in her pre-match sort of interviews for the Aston Villa game that Emma was not happy about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. So what do you think about what do you think about the, the match ahead then? The second leg? Well, I'm hoping all I'll, all I will say about the second leg is that Chelsea put themselves in a great position now to be able to go through. Mm-hmm. They need to just, you know, remember how good a team they are. Wolfsburg will come out and attack, and we know that. They need to be solid and resolute. If they get a chance, they need to take it on the break. And ultimately, I feel like there's no reason we can't get sort of, you know, to, uh, get through and sort of do it. And it will be a huge favour in the cap to knock out a team as good as Wolfsburg. Um, obviously, it looks like we will probably face, the winner will probably face Bayern in the semi final. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say with their 3 0 win over FC Rosengard that. It's looking likely it will be um, so, you know, them. And again, this will be a tough game, but it's one that you know is evident, evidently sort of you know winnable over 180 minutes. Um, I think you know the real battle for me will be whoever comes in at right back against Fridolina Rolfo because Rolfo is a very very good player, um, sort of you know very quality sort of Swedish international, and she will, I'm sure, be you know targeting it, and also they will target Jon Anderson. I think through Pop, um, Pop. Assuming she plays again, she's isolating due to co- a COVID case, but there's sort of some debate as to whether she's going to play in the next leg. Again, it would be sort of in some ways poetic justice if she was denied from playing in it after the um, sort of events of Wednesday. And then also, I think, you know, um, you're looking at Kerr against the centre-backs because I think we saw that Sam Kerr can really do damage to them. And especially with balls in behind, if you can then turn that defence, they are very good as a unit, but they do lack a lot of pace at the Wolfsburg back line. Um, and if you can get, you know, Kerr and Kirby in behind there and sort of linking up, Chelsea are going to be thinking that if they can get that one chance, they're, you know, clinical enough to be able to take it. So I just hope it will be a really good spectacle for, you know, again, a really good advert for competition, the best team to win it on merit and, you know, refereeing and officiating to match the standard of the football is hopefully on display. Will it be the same referee? Or do we I, know? I don't know. I haven't. I don't know if they've allocated them yet, but I will check it out. I was a bit surprised. I don't think it was Stephanie Frappard who did um, Wednesday's game. But again, she was poor in the previous round, I thought, against Atletico. But she, by all accounts, one of the top women's referees. I think she did the Manchester City game. 
Um, but I, I just, I, I don't really mind who it is, to be honest. I just hope that they are, you know, consistent and they don't try and make the tile about them because people do not want to watch the referee blowing up and giving a free kick and giving sort of, you know, 30 free kicks in a half because right. of niggly little fouls. It's going to be combative and there's going to be moments where, mm-hmm. you know, players are going to commit fouls. I'm not going to pretend that it's not going to happen. It's a quarter final, crying out, for crying out loud. And you'd expect that. And I'd be disappointed as a Chelsea fan if we aren't going to go and battle for it on Wednesday. Um, because there's that real, you know, carrot in front of us of being able to get through. And it just requires, you know, another really good performance, which is completely doable. I have 100% mm-hmm. faith in the squad. I have 100% faith in Emma Hayes. And there's no reason we can't, you know, win that. Once you're then into the semis, sort of, you know, I've got no reason we can't beat Bayern Munich at this moment in time um, and get yourself into a final. And then once you're into a final, it's, you know, 90 minutes, anything can happen. It's a chance of players really to, you know, go from being sort of, you know, iconic players to being legendary players and to really, you know, make a a permanent stamp in the club history as the first ever winners of it. Again, you look at the Chelsea men's Champions League team, a lot of those players who admittedly beforehand weren't necessarily hugely venerated at Chelsea are -hmm. now revered and sort of, you know, will always have that permanent reveration because they are part of that squad that went and did what was viewed to be the impossible. And this year, I think you'd say Chelsea women, there's more of an argument that they are the favourites for it. But at the same time, you know, there are still a lot of very good sides left in it. Yeah, there's no easy sides left. And definitely Bayern is not going to be easy. And no one on the other side of the draw is easy uh, at this point. But I mean, I the big thing for me that I keep thinking over and over and over, Rob, is how great is it that Chelsea has a completely informed Sam Kerr, Kerr and Fran Kirby at the same time. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, because I've watched where, you know, at the beginning, when I was really watching Chelsea very closely or started to, that, you know, that, uh, you know, I'd seen Sam Kerr do extremely well in other other settings, and but she was kind of inconsistent, I guess, in the, at the start. But now, they're like, this is a duo that, like, looks almost unstoppable. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And I would also... I would also throw in that the benefit Chelsea have at this moment in time is that you've got, you know, the quality of also Beth England in sort of reserve and the fact she's now effectively almost, I'd say, fourth choice attacker. Mm-hmm. This is the WSL's top goal scorer from last year for Grant Land, a world-class footballer in her own right. Um, the fact that you've got sort of, you know, that line, you've got that there and you've also got, you know, Penilla Harder at the moment who's playing, I think, the best football she's played in a albeit short Chelsea career. The fact that you've got those three attacking players just all on song and playing brilliantly is just a joy to watch. And it's one of those things that, you know, you really, as a fan, you really do wish you were there and sort of seeing that. My only hope is, you know, fans can get back as soon as possible. This is the sort of thing that from both sides deserves to be venerated. And mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, I spoke to, when I sort of spoke about the, the, the to the Vixen class before the Conti Cup game, sort of, you know, you see the level of adoration and again I, I think you know it's comic sort of jealousy in many ways but the adoration that they sort of have you know that you're able to have Beth England and if England's not available you can put Kerr in if Kerr's not available you have Kirby and if Kirby's not there there's Penilla Harder and then there's Guru Wright and Aaron Cuthbert and Jesse Fleming all in the mix and all of them are top top players for their country and top top players and it's rare I think you know I think Chelsea will never see a squad like this ever again 
Um, mm. I will put it out there where you have so many players that are so good because ultimately some of the players that haven't featured as much this year are going to decide that they want to you know move on and want to feature more. And that's completely fair enough. And I applaud sure. all players for that. At the end of the day, all players should always want to play. Um, mm-hmm. And you shouldn't be comfortable just sitting on, you know, on a bench. And Emma Hayes would not want any player to be comfortable and sit on the bench. And that's why she allowed Maria uh, Thorey-Stotier to leave, because she wasn't happy to sit on the bench. And there were moments of discontent. So she said, fine, you can go to Manchester United and go and play sort of, you know, football and see how it goes there. Because I think at the moment, it's, it's got to a point where in England... There is, once you join Chelsea, there's only one way and that's down if you leave Chelsea at this moment in time. And and I, I, at some point when we get to the end of the season, we'll have a, you know, have a discussion about, you know, what happens next. You know, is this team going to hold together? Are they going to get new players in? Is it going to be rotating players out? But you had an excellent segue into the idea of being able to, to all right, one person not available or we want to rest that person, we can rotate. So that's Aston Villa. Right, mm. that was today because mm. there what there were six changes to the lineup today. Yeah, Chelsea, uh, against Aston Villa. What was the what was the goal except besides getting three points uh, out of I this match the, for them? Yeah, for Chelsea? I think the main goals always to a game like this is to a keep players fresh, mm-hmm. b avoid any injuries to your key players, and c present a challenge to those that aren't playing. Of that, there's that carrot of always getting into the squad and impressing. Emma Hayes and Emma has made it abundantly clear that every spot is up for grabs and that players will get chances and we'll get, you know, you see it with Guru Wright and she's been sort of in and out at times mm-hmm. early in the season and has now consistently started to be one of the first choice substitutes and one of the first choice options to come back in because she's done well and excelled, albeit in limited opportunity at the start of the season. Today was more of a case that Chelsea, again, having seen Manchester City the day before, I'll eventually get over the hurdle of Reading, albeit, and again, another team that are a tough team to face and a team that you don't want to, you know, be up against in a situation. And it got towards the very sort of last few minutes. I'm going to, again, mm-hmm. have to say the keeper Maloney played brilliantly mm-hmm. again and was really unlucky to be on the losing side. But ultimately, City did do, you know, did deserve to win. It would be foolish not to say that. And it presents a challenge to Chelsea because Villa themselves are fighting for their lives at the other end of the league. And I think in some ways, Chelsea. If that had been at Villa Park, or uh, sort of not Villa Park, at Villa Stadium, and they had fans in, it would have been a very different game because the fans would have been right behind them and I think they'd have been, you know, spurred on mm-hmm. to be more sort of blocking. Whereas when they came to Kings Meadow, there's a bit of a fear for teams when they come to Kings Meadow of not being absolutely walloped because they know Chelsea can do that to people. And, OK, Chelsea did lose to Brighton earlier, sort of you know, in February, but that's regarded by a lot of people as a blip. And at the end of the day, blips do happen, even mm-hmm. with top squads. Um, the game against Villa, I think, it was similar to the game against West Ham, where Chelsea was in control from minute one. They missed a couple of good chances. They were just kept, you know, complete dominance over the game. Opening goal, Frank Kirby with the early cross, Sam Kerr rises and sort of, you know, heads it brilliantly. Little nick off the defender as well and goes in off the post. And as soon as that sort of went in, it was, you know, real time for Chelsea just to drop back into sort of second gear. They were able to keep them comfortably at arm's length. Musovic really had very little to do in goal. And then second half again, Chelsea with the break, ball back to Weiss, the keeper. Fleming did really, really well to press and to, you know, disrupt them. Weiss panicked a little bit, poor clearance straight to the person you don't want to give it to in Frank Kirby because she's going to find the inevitable perfect pass. Plays it into Kerr, Kerr one touch and then a floated finish right into the top corner. 
and it's just a really good finish. And then, you know, from 2 0, they were never coming back from, they were, they were never coming back in the game. And it's one of those sort of situations where a 2 0 win, I, I, always, I always like a good 2 0 win because it's better than a 1 0 because you showed your dominance, you got two goals on the mm-hmm. scoreline, but you've also kept your clean sheet. And, you know, if Chelsea win every single game 2 0 till the end of the season, they'll be champions. So I'm perfectly happy with that. It's not always about just completely, you know, walloping someone and putting five, four, five, six past them. At the end of the day, three points is three points. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the things I joke about on, the, on this cast a lot is everyone loves clean sheets. <laughs> you know, everyone loves them. You know, uh, people that go to hotels love clean sheets. Uh, you know, we love clean sheets at home. and We love clean sheets on the pitch too. So a 2-0, perfect. That's a you know it's like yeah three points clearly you you're the winner you got a clean sheet check all the boxes we move on to the next next I think today was really like okay let's you know let's hold serve is what I call it if you're the top team yeah and the team in second who's close to you jumps you uh, all you got to do is at home hold serve one nil will do it two nil will do it doesn't need to, like you said doesn't need to be six nil. Uh, and then uh, you hold serve and you jump right back to to quote where you belong yeah. uh, when you hold serve. And that's what it was. Also, as you said, I agree. Yeah, let's uh, rotate everybody. Let's keep people fresh, keep people active, rest who we need to give other people an opportunity. Uh, Aston Villa is a team that that has had a coaching change. They are a little bit more stubborn, uh, a little bit more resolute, a little bit in uh, anytime when there's a coaching change that happens. Uh, everyone's sort of not only fighting for relegation, but they're fighting for their, their positions on the pitch. They're fighting for their jobs, literally. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of what you've seen with Aston Villa recently. Uh, and, you know, they needed to at least try to get something out of this, even though it's a hard, hard sell. Uh, and for a while they did, um, you know, they, they did do that. And um, they play a really tight five, four, one, you know, you have, and they just try to be as organized. They get a lot of people behind the ball, which is what they try to do. But you give a team like Chelsea enough opportunities, they're going to get two past you. Uh, and that's what happened. Mm. You know, what's your, who is your player of the match real quick? Uh, today, I think it probably has to go again to the person that got the brace, Sam Kerr. Mm-hmm. Uh, did have a chance for a hat trick, which he um, uncharacteristically spooned wide at this moment in time. But yeah, just play, you know, as a striker, if you've got two real clear, opening she did have one other one where Weiss did really well to come out she'd been pushed a little bit wide by the pass but if you have two really good chances and you score two goals you've done a good job as a striker and you can come off the bench and sort of be happy and ultimately she's fit she's firing she's still in form ready for Wednesday absolutely absolutely so uh and what's the next league match coming up after Bullsburg this uh midweek so the next league match for Chelsea after the Wolfsburg game is Birmingham City on the 4th of April um, okay. at home to Birmingham, which, again, it'll be interesting to see if Chelsea allow Lee Napier and uh, Emily Murphy to play um, against their parent club. Um, mm-hmm. And then after that, there's a little bit of a break till the FA Cup fourth round and then potentially mm-hmm. the big game against City, although that is a bit up in the air because if Chelsea qualify for the semi-finals or indeed if City qualify or if both qualify, then uh, that's the weekend that they have been um, provisionally scheduled for. So a lot of stuff coming up, Rob, a lot of stuff coming up, but you seem to be very confident that Chelsea will make it, th- make it through with Wolfsburg, correct? 
I, I wouldn't go as far as to say confident. Uh, I, I always think well, you confidence, sound confident. Confidence is one of the most dangerous <laughs> things to have in football. Um, True. Because as soon, True. As, as soon as you start being confident, confidence is one step away from complacency. As I said, I have trust in the squad. And that, that's why okay. I say rather than confidence, I have trust in the team and I trust them to be able to do it. Let me ask you this. Is trust the same as faith? No. Trust, uh, trust means you have open eyes. Faith means you're blind. There you go. I like it. Perfect. That's a perfect response, Rob. Absolutely perfect. Rob, thank you so much. Brilliant as always. A lot of info, a lot of great info. Uh, again, thank you as always for being on today. Not a problem. Thank you very much for inviting me as always. And uh, you, you really deserve some rest. This is the 401st uh, podcast. Um, and uh, hopefully this is your your last for a little bit and you get some rest. You deserve it. <laughs> you deserve it. So this is it for England is burning for Sunday, 28th of March from the ATL from Georgia. And tomorrow we will have back again, Mark from the Barmy Army to talk about Manchester United at Old Trafford beating and I totally forgot who they beat, but they beat somebody. Too. West Ham. No. West Ham. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> Just lost my brain for a second. Uh, and then uh, Emma from the Man City Women Fan Cast will be on to discuss the rather interesting uh, but entertaining uh, battle that they had against um, Reading, where they came out and looking at the interesting, and that's using their term loosely, performance they had against Barcelona and what happened there and looking ahead for them. But that is tomorrow. So for today, we are going to close out, everyone. Uh, thank you for watching this. Thank you for listening to this. If wherever you are, where you're watching this, hit a like on the YouTube channel, hit a like on this video, share with your friends. If you're listening to this on all of the podcast platforms, we have all of them. You know, do a like, give a rating, share with your friends on social media. Please do so. Word of mouth is what has gotten this podcast and video cast off the ground, and we're definitely off the ground. So in closing, let me remind you that the light is out there. Remember, let it become part of you. Let it hug you. Let it become part of your life and the people around you. Also acknowledge, unfortunately, and it's happened to me really personally, individually this past week, that the darkness is there. We have to acknowledge it but do not let it ever hug you. And if it does, please, please, y'all, help yourself, get the help you need, support each other, take care of each other, take care of yourself. And England is Burning is out for today. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening.